This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, everybody. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. Hi, I'm Lisa Traeger, and this is a SVU podcast. We talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. We talk to someone from the episode. Today is a monumental moment in my life, so stay tuned uh, for everything. (laughs) Uh, Great episodes. Yeah, whatever. Um, Let's talk. Um, Kara, what's up? Uh, Even though I was in Chicago last week... I never I didn't I didn't get to talk about that, even though I am a White Sox fan. I went to a Cubs game and I had the time of my life. (laughs) I've never sat this close to athletes before. We were second row behind the Cubs dugout. How'd you get these tickets? I'm I'm I open for my friend Jared and he's treating me like um, a queen. He's buying tickets. We went to the Soho pool. He's taking me out for drinks and dinners. It's you know, it's great. I don't even have to put out. I just well, because for my (laughs) life, you know. For doing stand up, I mean, it's been like twelve years. I do go on the tour on tour by myself, and it has been an ego. I don't know. It's been wild to like host for someone because I do have to do announcements at the end of the show and it's truly humiliating. <laughs> and um, my friend was like taunting me and texting me being like, keep at it. You don't quit. It seems like you got talent. Don't forget to mention the <laughs> comment cards. So legit after like decades, I've headlined this club. But at the end of the show, I have to be like exit through the side door. Please wait for your server. And it is hard no matter how confident and chill you are in who you are as a performer. There is a moment where I'm like, oh my God, this is humiliating. But then I'm in the Soho pool drinking a pina colada and I go, you know what? It's worth the announcements. I'll say whatever you want me to fucking say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's worth the announcements. I'm totally fine with it. Let's go to the beach. So (laughs) I think he feels guilty. 
And so we got to sit behind the dugout and I, I he t- he looked at me. He goes, I've never seen you more in your element. I didn't realize this is where you belong at a baseball game. I go, I know this is where I shine. I, wow. Oh, it was so cool to see them so close. I love baseball bodies. I think they're the hottest of all the sports uh, bodies. Whoa. I loved seeing them so close hit the ball. I mean, I loved the thing. I loved it was honestly like so fun. It was so fun. We're and um, but we're going to go to another. We're going to go to the Sh- uh, Cubs Sox game on Sunday, too. I know I said I was in Chicago. I'm just trying to protect. I don't know what you guys, you know, we're, we're, we're recording. I'm in Chicago right now, but I'm pretending. I left. <laughs> I listened to another podcast where they used to talk about being in the time machine. They'd be like, okay, we're in the time machine right now because <laughs> yeah. we are. Listen, we're not going to lie. It, like we recorded this a little bit earlier. We've got a lot of things going on in our lives. So this is not, we're not recording this like the day of that. It's coming to your ears. So Lisa is going to another baseball game. And it sounds like it's going to be awesome. I love baseball games. I was thinking about what you said about baseball players having the best bodies. Tell me more. My about favorite that. bodies. Right. Well, in your, in your opinion. Yeah. I like, um, like a thick, like thick thought, like thick, maybe uh-huh. thick, like in shape, but thick. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I was, cause I, I always think of baseball guys as having like a gut for some reason, but that's probably my stereotype. Well, when uh, they get older. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I guess I'm thinking of like Babe Ruth. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like, um, I was going to say, and I don't even go to these kind of games, but I like soccer players bodies. I think they've got like, they always have like abs and like good little butts and, and then big ass calves and shit from kicking that ball around. Yeah, no, soccer's not for, I, I love the baseball. I love the kind of laziness to it too, where it's like, <laughs> I'm going to stand in this field and I'll hit two balls. You yeah. know, like, I like that. I also like baseball because I feel, and you, you'll you probably tell me, fuck you, I hate that you do this, but I, I like that when I go to a baseball game, I never sit in good seats like what you were at. I'm always like nosebleed. The players look like ants to me. I could just kind of talk. And then when there's oh. a big, when there's a big hit, I can go, Ooh, you know, but like yes. most of the time I can just chat with my friends and drink beer and have fun. No. And I told Jared, I was like, Hey, I'm, we're going to talk, but if you want to like focus and you want me to stop talking, let me know. And he goes, no, that's the whole point of being at a baseball yeah, game. Yeah. Okay, good. I thought you were going to yeah. do like, I don't talk at sports games. Cause obviously at like tennis, you don't talk or like, yeah. you know, there's certain things you don't talk, but baseball. But one time I was at a baseball game with someone I didn't really want to be with. And I did turn to him and go, you need to stop talking. I'm going to focus on the game. But <laughs> Uh, you know, it happens, but, um, no, he called it. It was like an outdoor picnic, whatever. It was just like a fantastic day. And like one of them, like I talked to all the beer guys, like you forget Chicago is nice. Like people are really nice. So like Dorothy, the, like one of the workers was like, did you bring sunblock? The seats get really hot here. I go, you know what, Dorothy, I did bring sunblock. Thank you so much. <laughs> and she goes, don't bother the players. Maybe they'll wave at you, but like, you know, let them concentrate. And I'm like, I'm just here to look. I don't, yeah. I don't need to bother them. <laughs> I love the beer. I mean, my ex-boyfriend played like baseball in college. I don't know. It is something that um, that it brings fun out of me. Oh, wow. No, I do. I do love watching a baseball game. And I would I really would love when you come back. Let's go to a Dodgers game. Oh, I'd really absolutely. Love that. Yeah, I've gone everywhere. I don't. Uh, I just love being in the sun. But so we're hanging out at one of my favorite bars in Chicago, Old Town Ale House. Have you been with the paintings across right by the condo? Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't have to tell everyone. Well, I'm sorry. Well, now Cut I'll that be out. gone. It's fine. Cut that no, out. Don't, no, don't no everybody cares. go find Lisa. 
our threatening <laughs> our threatening listeners that are coming to kill you. <laughs> no, everyone's really shy. Like someone will come to me after Soul Cycle and be like, I listen to the pod, and then I'm like down to talk and they run away from me. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm like, peace. Um but I, oh my God, there was the most annoying dumb bitch at the bar yesterday and I hate her so much. And she was the most annoying person that I've ever, and I want to talk shit about her. Oh, I had, I was at a wedding, uh, while I was gone on my longer trip Yes, uh, where I was with a person that I've hated for a decade plus. And you didn't tell me what happened at the wedding. She just, I just fucking can't stand her. And I, and I just don't, I like immediately, immediately, like there was a break in between the wedding and the, and the, the reception. Right. So all of us are like, let's go back to the hotel. And she's like, let's go to a different hotel. And I'm like, stop. Everybody's already going to this one hotel. Why are you trying to move the whole freaking plan? Like she's so annoying. And then she can tell I don't like her. So when she got really drunk, she started kissing my ass and I just, I just don't like her. Do I know who this is? You, by extension, will know who this is. I'll tell you who it is. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. But the wedding looked beautiful. Looked oh, like the wedding was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I wanted to tell you that on my flight home, I watched Crazy Not Insane, that documentary that you talked about that's on um, HBO Max, I think, or H- regular HBO too. And I, I loved it. I was like, r- I was wrapped. I had a baby attached to me like praying he didn't wake up. I had like one headphone in just like, you know, listening to this lady talk about fucking killers. And it was, I didn't realize it was so much about multiple personality disorder. Mm. It was so interesting. Anyway, people should watch that. It's really good. Yeah. She's a hero. Cause we talk about Dr. Michael Batten so much. And you know, this girl, this woman gets no attention. I've never heard of this sociologist yeah. before this video. And it seems like, you know, I always love when people are like a laughing stock and then they're right. You know, like the yeah. Galileo, like actually we're rotating the sun or, you know, the sun. I actually yeah, don't yeah, even yeah. remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who rotates I only know where. because of an indigo girl song that explains it to me. Um, <laughs> But it is wild science. It's like everyone's like, fuck you drink this poison. And then it's like, well, I guess they're right. Like, well, yeah, know, but it crazy. also like highlighted to me how like every single abuser, every single serial killer, like they've all been so horribly abused also in their past. Pretty much like when she said evil is a religious idea. That was that really stuck with me. She was like, evil is a religious concept. Like these are people that are like wired wrong or something is up, you know? Evil is a religious concept. That is very interesting. Like, I think what her point was, there's not a lot of people that are just up born evil. I'm sure it's it's possible, but like it's mostly you've been horribly you've been exposed to horrible images. You've been horribly abused, like whatever. Um, did you ever watch Freaks and Geeks? No, that's a blind spot for me. Everybody's like, you know, so and so from Freaks and Geeks, and I'm just like, it's a. Bl- I have. It's I only one watch it. season. Watch it, but there's a moment where the nerd, one of the nerd boys, um, finally gets to go on a date with this girl he's had a crush on for a while, and then mid date he figures out she hates like homeless people and poor people and is a full on Republican, and it's this weird moment. And I had that recently, not with the dumb bitch at the bar, but I was like talking to someone, and then all of a sudden. They like hate homeless people. And I was like, oh, you don't feel ashamed to say this out loud. And then like when I when figured out my point of view, it was like, well, you you just can't talk about this stuff. You, there's no way to win. And I go, no, there's a way to win. Yeah, uh, there's a way to not hate people that are 
living unhoused with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't get that. But he was like, well, some have problems, but some are just on meth. And I'm like, so if it's a veteran or someone that was abused that then started doing meth, suddenly you don't have any care for them. I don't right. understand. And he goes, you know, it's just, I don't think we should be talking about this. I'm like, no, you just, you thought socially we were all going to be like, yeah, fuck the tents. Yeah. And then I'll take a shot. Yeah. No, like it was wild. No, but this girl. So, um, she, you know, when you're trying to act too cool, but you're also trying to get into our circle. So are you cooler than us or are you desperate to hang with us? <laughs> Which one is it? Cause you can't act too cool and then be in the corner being like, so, and like jumping into the conversation and this bitch from Oklahoma started talking about how Chicago has no culture. And I actually got up and I left. I go, I'm out. I'm done for the night. Thank you. But that was the final straw. And it's like, you come to Chicago and you say Chicago has no culture just because you don't sit like that. It's just the most insane thing. House music. I mean, this city burnt to a crisp and was built the fuck back up. Michael Jordan, the Bulls, food, the politics. Music, hip hop music. I mean, like, it's insane. That's a truly, truly unhinged comment to make. It, and thinking she was like the Chicago Museum smart. of Art, whatever that museum is called. The Art Institute the Art is Institute. one of the greatest places on this planet as the fuck. Like it was just how do you come to a city that is like, I mean, everywhere has a culture. But to be in this because she likes New York and it's always like. Yeah, but it's different. And she goes, people aren't. Put I'm like, what are you talking about? There's art here. Our friend works at the Museum of Contemporary Art doing amazing work there. Like, I I just couldn't believe it. And then also she kept talking about the white like, oh, you guys went to the Cubs game. You should go to a White Sox game. It's like I've been arrested at a White Sox game and kicked out of others. I've been going to White Sox games for my whole fucking life. Like, don't fucking talk to me. Like, but I, I try to be chill. And she, I was like, I, I don't know. I had a great time at the Cubs game. She goes, it's because it's kitsch. I go, no, I had an amazing time. She goes, but it's just the the kitsch factor. I go, are you trying to tell me what I did at the Cubs game? I go, I had a fucking great time because I was sitting close and it was a great game and I'm a social person. Why the fuck are you telling me what <laughs> I like and why? Like, I could not handle this girl. It was out of control. The shit that was coming out of her mouth. I... <laughs> oh, I've been like, but I, you know, my friend had sex with her, but um, what are you going to do? Ain't that always the way? That's always why we have to deal. We always have to deal with dumb bitches because they're having sex with our friends. I know. Wait, there was one other thing she said where I was like, I can't, what are you doing? It was. Oh, I said something. I was like, oh, yeah, that crowd didn't like me because of this or that. Like, talk, and she goes, you shouldn't be so self-deprecating on yourself. I go, I'm not. It's just like a fact. Like, I think I'm great. Um, I, <laughs> I think I deserve to be a lot richer than I am. You obviously don't know me. I'm very confident. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but you're allowed to say if something didn't go well or like, you know, like I'm a self worker, yeah. but she just was, I just to, to sit from Oklahoma and tell me that Chicago has no culture. And where do you think has culture, bitch? Where do you think has culture? That's really nuts. Because I also don't want to shit on Oklahoma. I'm sure there's great things there. My friend, you know, yeah. Marsha Belsky's from Oklahoma, but. Oh, let's be legend. real. All right. We got to start because this is a long one. But sometimes you guys are like, we love a long app. So maybe this is it. Let's get going. Fine. But there was <laughs> another reason why I hated her. Oh, <laughs> All right. So we're doing one of the scariest and like, 
I wouldn't, whatever. It's season nine, episode 12. I was going to say it's the most movie-like. Like, I know you're not going to want me to say this, but it's very Silence of the Lambs. Um, no, I'm fine with that. And it is. Yeah, there's just like a law. It's, but I wouldn't say it's against SVU type. It's within the SVU universe, but there's something extra yeah. spicy about this one. Yes. Um, it opens up in some woods. There's a park ranger type guy with his son and the son is like, man, it smells bad. And the dad's like, all right, you know, toughen up. It's just a dead animal. So he goes to scoop up this dead animal and goes, son, just hold this bag. And the man, he makes a mustache look good. And then he happens upon what the smell is. And then the boy starts running directly to it. And the dad is like, no, 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 don't, don't see it. And then there's dead bodies. He sees the body. He faints. Um, and then the dead body has a bullet wound straight in the middle of the forehead. The crime scene tape goes up and we're ready for an SVU episode. But then all of a sudden, Chester Lake is there. And then we have Mariska. So it's Mariska and Chester Lake. They're walking classic walk and talk. And Mariska's in her growing pains, Leo DiCaprio hair phase. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they zoom in on the maggots and it's like, thanks, SVU. I needed Ugh. to zoom in maggots before the credits. That like, was like. They never do that. It was really, really, really awful. And maggots are gross. There is a maggot-based forensic files. And so I understand the importance of maggots for evidence-taking yes. and like time of death, but I don't need a zoom-in. Yeah. Another reason why medical examiner is off the list for me for careers. Yeah, and Melinda's, you know, scooping up these maggots. Um, and she tells Benson while digging with these maggots. Uh, she says there's multiple ligature marks, bruising, electrical burns all over the body on areola and genitals. And she's been like turned over after the death. On the female body, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And so then we get another CSU person, you know, Captain Judith. And it's wild to get both of them together that you know doesn't happen very often so then someone asks the cause of death and the voice from a distance narrowing in says dry drowning which i didn't even know that was a thing and i wish it wasn't a thing or i wish i didn't know about it but dry drowning and so we're like who's this voice what's happening what who else is there it's erica christensen who played a big part of my life i don't know if that <laughs> is um something that is important. You're looking at me. You have nothing. You're not even. Looking, I, no, but I, no, I, I want to hear about I want to hear about Erica Christensen living in, in your life. I just I, I don't know her in that much except for like traffic and a couple of other things. Traffic was a big moment, but swim fan to me. Yeah. Still one of my faves. I love a stalker. I And I was on the swim team. So to, to be a swimmer and have suddenly <laughs> a movie about swimming was monumental. It was like so huge. And she played such a fucking villain and was nuts and jesse bradford was in it from bring it on so it was like these teen sensations and it was like just such a huge mo moment and then i was a big braverman fan i love the i loved parenthood on nbc i watched jason Catims. Oh. so young erica christensen and more adult erica christensen have both been there for you at various points of your life yeah she was a mom she was like the tight i think she plays a tight ass a lot and um, here there is a tight ass bun on her head. So for sure, very tight, <laughs> very tight bun. She's wearing a baby blue dress shirt, which is a nightmare. I can't think of an, a worse <laughs> thing to, like office attire, dress pants. I hope are a thing of the past, like professionalism and how we see it is just like 
why did we let men come up with our work fashions? It makes no <laughs> sense. Like, well, I, I just hate that ev- that work fashion is so disgusting. I was actually talking to our friend and her friend had to wear heels at work. It was like it was in the rule. Women had to wear heels at work. It's That's... like it's just fresh. That's um, I actually read like a really cool quote um, recently that I wrote down and it's like. Um, success shouldn't be measured by like love or money, but by time. Oh, for creatives. It was a Jeffrey Saltz. What's the art critic for the New York magazine? Uh huh. He had a quote about like to be how to be a successful artist. And it's like work, 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 do this, do that. And then one of it was like, see your success in terms of time. Right. And I thought that was like so perfect. Like that's that's the dream of being a stand up or an artist is the time. It's not about money. It's like people hate their jobs. People hate errands they have to do. People like, how you know, like they're, everything is so scheduled. And especially if you then have a family and it's all these things. And it's like so cool to have time. Yeah. Because I always think about it because I think I'm very successful, but I don't have that much money. And then I'm like, oh, but I have more time than anyone I know. And yeah. that is the best thing I could have hoped for myself. (laughs) I don't have to wear express day pants. I don't have to wear a suit coat. I don't have to wear heels or little loafers. I don't express day pants. (laughs) I don't have to do it. I mean, having to buy dress pants to work at is like, a. no, I had jobs like that in New York and I, uh, I hated it. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you can't be more fashion forward in a job, but that either way, it's just a nightmare. And that quote, I just saw it this week and it like really like, I was like, oh yeah, I have so much time on my hands. This is heaven. Well, I also feel like, yeah, I feel like female cops and female like FBI agents are going to be like the last people to drop the dress shirts and the gray slacks. Like they're going to be doing that shit for a long time. I feel like, cause that's what Olivia wears, you know? Olivia rocks it. Olivia's more fashion <laughs> forward. She's going to Zara. She's going to J. Crew. Yeah, and she's got like a little like ankle booty on and stuff. Like, yeah, she's with some skinny jeans. She's doing, you're right. She's doing different stuff. Yeah. But we've got some bad fashions from Olivia over the years, too. Anyways, back to this crime scene. Sorry about my Jeffrey Saltz quotes. I just, <laughs> uh... <laughs> so Erica Christensen, Ty Bun, and Olivia goes, Excuse me? You know, we don't like new people. Olivia is not a friend. I, I am. I do think Olivia was like a mean girl. JK. I know she had a lot going on as a teen, but it's like she just hates any new woman that ever shows up. But yeah, she, she goes, <laughs> excuse me. And then Erica explains the scoop. She goes, if this is my guy, he puts a bag over their head and pours a bucket, w- buckets of water on it. Um, I thought that was waterboarding, but maybe dry drowning is waterboarding. I don't know. It is. I think it's the same thing. I think it's just that dry drowning is when they, you kill them. Waterboarding is just like a torture tactic, you know? Oh, God. Um, Melinda is um, has two perfectly layered gold necklaces and she's just like, and you are like, who are you, girl? You can't (laughs) just run onto a crime scene. Um, And who is Erica Christensen? She is FBI agent Laura Cooper in the behavioral analysis unit. She hunts the woodsman. That is her criminal. Um, And Benson goes, wait, but I haven't filed the 61. How did you get here so fast? Um, Melinda explains that she put something on the Emmy bulletin because the condition of the remains made her want to call the feds. I kept rewinding and watching this like eight times to get exactly what she posted. It Uh was too hard. This is it. This is what I have. (laughs) 
But it's interesting to know. I didn't know that there was like a separate Emmy network, like where the, you know what I mean? Where like the medical examiners like talk to each other. Like, has anyone else seen a body in this condition? You know? Yeah. You know, I'm sure the forensic people have like uh, conferences, like insurance agents, you know, they all meet up and do creepy things together. Yeah. I'm sure their parties are at like the freaky museums with shrunken heads, you know? <laughs> the museum of death. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just want to point out that this is FBI agent Cooper and they just keep calling her agent Cooper. And if you watch twin peaks, it's a little, um, it's a little uh, reminiscent because his name is agent Dale Cooper and it's funny that they just call him that because I think he's one of the most famous television FBI agents and they're both FBI. They're both Agent Cooper. Go on. I wonder if that was on purpose. So then hmm. there's also a male victim. So we have the female victim and the male victim, just a bullet wound in the head. And that's not really like typical to have a male victim with this killer. So they're confused. So what we have is a tortured, dry, drowned body and then a shot in the head man body. Um, and the body's dead less than 12 hours. The FBI girl boss says the male probably walked in on the woodsman at work and he had to kill him and had no choice. And her badge is attached to her really cool. It's like a sideways clip thing on her suit coat. And I do love that. And I've never really <laughs> seen a badge uh, attached like that. And then she talks, there's an accent. What is the accent? Where is she? For, like, it's such a, she talks in such a specific way, but I don't even know what the way that is. Interesting. I don't know if I caught the accent. But then, so she says something like, you know, the woodsman thinks he's God. And then they go to the credits. Um, so we get back from the credits and we're at the precinct and Benson lets Cragen know that there is DNA at the crime. So that's good. And then Finn and Stabler are, are in Montreal on an extradition. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, like it's usually there's four detectives in your unit and like you send half of them away for this one extradition. But what do you think really was going on? Do you think Elliot was like making a movie and Finn had like some body count concerts or something? Yeah, I wonder why they weren't there or they asked like for them both to be gone is pretty peculiar. And maybe yeah. this is a Neil Bear question. <laughs> um if he because he would remember. Yeah, um, he would. <laughs> like they took <laughs> off because that. Like I wonder if they both had uh, whatever. So, <laughs> Agent Cooper is giving a presentation to the SVU about the Woodsman. He's a sexual sadist who keeps his victims alive after abduction and then kills the body, then dumps it, then visits and poses them. And he has twenty four victims. Oh, that is so many. I actually, right when I said that out loud, I realized we're going to hear the true crime, and I got. Sad. Okay. So, uh, but great guest. Okay. So, uh, he strangles and revives. That's the thing. He rapes with foreign objects, burns genitalia, and then the end is always a dry drowning. Um, and the victims overlap because he likes to have one victim listen as he tortures another victim. This oh. is the worst. It's the worst. <sighs> so, but what's even worse is that means he might have another victim out there right now. So, like, you know, this woman's dropped. There is another one that was watching this torture. So someone's out there and they have to move fast. Um, and Benson's mad. She goes, why wouldn't you tell me this sooner? Hello. And Erica's like, he's unpredictable. Like, sometimes he travels through state lines. He hunts in city, dumps in country. Like, I'm doing the best I can. So Cragen reveals that the woodsy area we saw the bodies in is in Central Park. And it's not a highly populated area. So he knows his way around the park. So that is a clue. So 
the reason the man up top of the episode even went over to that area was because he got an email about a dead dog. And Huang is like, but that's not part of his signature. Uh, giving directions to a body shows empathy or remorse. And this guy does not have that for these victims. He thinks his victims are garbage. He would not email. So we have to find out who sent this email saying that there was a dead dog to send someone to find these bodies. And then the other man, uh, the body, the man body that was found had a jogging suit on keys, no ID. And so they're trying to find out who he is for Jane Doe. There are two possible matches. And Benson thinks it's one of the matches named Bunny Jones, an exotic dancer and a guy named Lavender reported her missing two weeks ago. So now Erica and Olivia, uh, Agent Cooper, whatever, swim fan, they go, the girls, <laughs> I'm going to call them the girls. They go visit Lavender at the strip club and he is wearing lavender and then he goes, it's lavender. Do I look like a fucking flower to you? Which I love uh, because he is wearing lavender. So it's like, you don't want to be called lavender. I mean, I'm naming my future dog that. There's a no lavender. Lavender. Uh, but this is, I mean, that's my new drag name. Okay. But this is, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, this is why we love SVU. Like such a, you know, a maggot up top and then a nice little gameplay wordplay yeah. at the, in the middle. Um, so they tell him Bionni Jones is missing and he goes, no, she isn't. And a woman comes over who has like a poof in the front, which really like puts this in the uh, season nine <laughs> time frame. Um, she's wearing a belly chain. And so we find out she was just shacking up with some loser guy and, Lavander was worried for his strippers and reported her missing, but never said she returned. And it pisses Erica Christensen off and they kind of fight a little bit. And it, you know, like, how dare you waste precious time in this investigation? There could be a live victim. Go fuck yourself. And so Lavander to apologize, like, oh, well, I can give you one on one time with the bunny, you know, with the stripper and Erica, like there's karate moves, whatever she he she brings him to his knees. There's yelling, whatever. So then um, he says cops come in all the time and he gives them lap dances like this is I'm not I'm not trying to do anything this is what usually happens and that's the thing like they're pissed because they're moral detectives but then every other cop comes and expects free dances and then I'm like are they getting paid for these free dances you know like yeah. if I, during waitressing if a boss's friend came in and the thing was comped you'd still get tips or you get compensated so I'm just wondering what these strippers get for dancing for all these bad yeah, cops. Yeah, that's a good question. Or if the cops tip even, or if they're actually the most violent and the worst people on earth. I bet they do not tip. I'd be willing to wager. So I, I felt like I was being confusing, but basically Erica puts Lavander in some kind of wrestling chokehold. He goes, stop it. I'll give you a sexy dance. She goes, we don't have time. We have a live victim. So they walk into the strip club and they get a page that the waitress isn't missing anymore. So they go to Kate's house, the waitress, to talk to the parents. And basically she was in a foraging club in Central Park looking for edible plants. And the dad didn't like the guy who ran the program and said that he was pushy and kept asking her out on dates and was like controlling so they have to go talk to the, the other Jane Doe, like possible Jane Doe's guy from this foraging club. It's like, just join a softball game. Okay. So this guy, Vest, we'll call him Vest Boy. He's wearing three layers. Once I noticed this in SVU, I can't stop noticing, but like so many people wear three layers. It's like <laughs> everyone is wearing three layers. It's really hard not to see this anymore. 
and he has a beaded necklace on and glasses and but he didn't have dirt on him which Erica didn't like like how are you foraging and you're not dirty um and so they do this like in, interrogation in the park and it's very porn like like it is sexual like the, if this was the start of a porn I would believe it um they're just like so kind of mean to him and he I think he likes it and they think he did it. So, of course, they're going to be aggressive to him. But, like, I don't think he did it. I the, There's no fucking way. I don't think they that he is guilty of anything. He seems way too dorky and anxious for this kind of crime. And he gives all the addresses of and all the names of anyone in the group and is willing to help in any way possible. He's like, I did nothing. I'm just kind of a dork who wanted to, you know, ask her out. But, like, here is all the information. Um, so, you know, he wasn't one of those that's like, I need a warrant. I'm I'm protecting my civil liberties. He's just like, whatever you need, ladies. And then it cuts to B.D. Wong pontificating and recording into a tape recorder everything he thinks is happening with the woodsman killer. So the profile that B.D. Wong, a.k.a. Huang, is thinking is white male, 35 to 55. Normal intelligence, but street smart. He targets strangers, depersonalizes victims, uses restraints, aggressive. Crime scene reflects control and high level of comfort of environment. Bodies are dumped in the open, but in remote areas, not mapped for tourists. There's no witnesses ever, which means he has surveillance of the victims. And then we hear, while we hear BD's voice, we see Chester Lake standing outside of like a, like a busy New York street, thinking about something, putting all the pieces together. So Huang is talking and Chester's figuring out like surveillance stuff. His eyes go to like ATM cameras and street cameras. And he's just looking at everything. And Huang says, but this is strange because the emails were sent through some weird wiring text thing. This is against type. Like this guy's not a techie. And so then we see Chester's at an internet cafe and an employee runs out and tells Chester, Hey, I can confirm these emails were sent through this cafe in this like weird high tech way. And he's going to try to track down what email it came from and help track down the killer. So uh, we cut back to the office when Huang is looking at a photo of a Dr. Tillman and Agent Cooper. And so they're together. And basically, he's like he says that there's holes in the research because this Dr. Tillman, who, you know, is a contemporary of Agent Cooper or whatever. They're working together. He looks older. But he says they're like the holes in the research are because of Dr. Tillman's mental deterioration and then suicide. So now we understand that this is a personal case for Agent Cooper because this Dr. Tillman killed himself because he went crazy researching this case. So then we cut to another professional. We have Melinda Warner explaining what happened to the victim. So Kate died 10 days ago. Torture by waterboarding is how death happened and uterus punctured and her colon was punctured. And then Cooper's like, okay, we've heard enough. And this is like, I love Melinda at her best. She turns around very Michael Batten in her spirit. Like she's so badass. And she flips her head straight to the camera and goes, I speak for the dead and I'm not done. I love that. I loved it. I loved love that. It. Yeah, I mean, oh God, when will we meet Melinda? I'm about to go watch my cameo again. Okay. Um, <laughs> so then Erica responds being like, at least he didn't cut her up into pieces and he let her keep her head. What? I think she's referring to ways he's disposed of other victims. 
Like, this isn't the worst she's seen, I guess. But I don't really know why. Yeah. But this is weird point of view. It's like, yeah. Are you telling this dead body to be grateful that her head wasn't chopped off? Like, I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused why you're mad at Melinda for having like humanity towards the dead and these victims. And you're just like, she's lucky. (laughs) No, I think she's what she's trying to do is say, I've seen so much fucked up shit. And then like, it gives Melinda the idea like, Oh, this bitch doesn't deal with what I deal with every day. So maybe I'll go, go a little easier on her. You know what I mean? Also it's like, actually Dr. Agent Cooper, you haven't seen this. That's the whole point. You're a behavioral person. Yeah. You analyze. So then also like shut her down in ways of I've seen worse. You've read worse. You've not been on the case, like digging in these people's bodies. Like, I just don't fuck with my girl. The thing is, is that evidence is everything. And Melinda has like all the evidence, basically, when a body is dumped like that, that it's all rests with the body. So you need to shut up and listen to every single thing she's saying. Like, you don't need to go, oh, we get the gist. Like, no, she's going to tell you something, like tell you everything, you know? Yeah. Um, But Melinda says sorry, which I get. Look, I know. I don't agree with. Yeah, Um, I understand the details are a lot, but like that's her job and that's what you're there for. So John Doe was shot once, but there's no slug at like which is the leftover bullet piece. Um, And since they were not able to find a leftover bullet piece thing, there's no way to connect the two killings. And so there's no evidence that ties them together that it was killed by the same person. So dun, dun, dun. What's going to happen? Uh, Chester is looking at internet cafe footage. That's what he's decided to do. And then Huang asks uh, swim fan Cooper, like, hey, did you notice when Tillman lost his mind? Was it a specific case? Uh, because the profile has a lot of errors. And if I can pinpoint what victim made him go nuts, like then I can go back and start making profiles from then. And she's like, I don't remember. And he's like, you need to try because he's torturing another victim right now. And she loses it and goes like, I don't fucking know, which is true. Like, she doesn't know what's happening. She has been working in these cases, BD. Like, come on, like disrespect all around. But also she needs to figure this out. But she goes wild and she's like, if I knew I would have stopped him from killing himself. Hello. He was my favorite person. You think I would have just let him go nuts slowly and minded my own business like I was there to fucking help this is a weird line to go down that if you have a mental illness or or some kind of deterioration that's just happening there's not a specific case that's making you go nuts or making your mind deteriorate you know Yeah, maybe that's like a crime show trope, but it seems like (laughs) cases end up taking over certain detectives lives and then they spiral so I mean, I don't know. Um, But she says, like, he was my mentor and I didn't see it coming. And I'm sure she has a lot of guilt. Like, she is an agent. Yeah. A behavioral analysis and, like, didn't see it coming. Pick up on this. Right. Um, They cut to Chester Lake and he makes a puzzled, confused face when she says that statement. But we don't know much. But there is a confused face. And then Daddy Cragen waltzes in and he's like, there's a problem. We found the woodsman. Which, how is that a problem, right? And people are like, where, what, what? (gasps) And he goes, in the morgue. What? The DNA sample CSU found matches the John Doe they found. So he's dead. So the dead male body at the crime scene is the woodsman killer, which is awesome because this evil piece of shit is dead, but it's bad because they think that there's another live victim and now he's dead and they can't get any information about anybody. Erica takes a deep breath. 
I'm assuming there was a commercial right here. <laughs> so then we see a photo of the woodsman. He's wearing a park ranger style hat. His name is Larry Moore. And he looks like he would be on CBS Survivor. I can't tell you why, but if you watch Survivor and you saw this photo, you know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> So he's a non-commissioned park ranger, but also a cop maintenance ranger. I'm confused. I'm confused so much in this episode. Like, I I don't know. And I kept rewinding and rewriting. And I was like, how? I don't know. Was he a cop? Is he a park ranger? Is he a maintenance mountain ranger cop? Like, I don't fucking know. Maybe I, I'm assuming that if he's non-commissioned park ranger, that he's like a park ranger. But like, you have to actually get like licensed and shit to be a park ranger. So maybe he's more just like a maintenance ranger where he just like you know does general for sure upkeep. but then why did Cragen say that he was a former cop or a cop oh, like oh, that's I what know. I kept not understanding <laughs> I kept re-watching and I was just like what is happening uh but you know yeah you are totally right on with the maintenance thing like he opened <laughs> and closed the park in the season like when the season opened and closed he picked up trash okay um so yeah they're just gabbing trying to figure it out um but how did nobody hear the torture so she goes well maybe the winter cabins like maybe he's there Chester then finds an apartment in the city that he was subleasing. So they get moving to the apartment. They enter with all these guns, searching for scoop, knocking down bookshelves, junk, junk, junk. So while they're going through the evidence in the apartment, she's like opening up to Benson. And she reveals that she grew up in a group home and that this Tillman guy recruited her when she was a junior in college. And she felt like he was her dad. That is the dream to be for the FBI to find you. And in go, college we need and be you like, you're the one yeah like such a men in black like amazing moment like that is just so cool you obviously you obviously need special skills but also the fbi is watching all of our grades yeah <laughs> all of our skills um so D benson says oh my god i think i got something and it's a key and hopefully it's to the murder room and then there's one photo in the whole room and it says aunt helen 1980 so they go to visit aunt helen She's gardening. She has full ass bangs, flowers, marble galore. She's wearing a little apron. They tell her that her nephew tortures and murders women. And she starts kind of crying, not fully, but asks how many. They say over 20. And Erica's like, hey, girl, you don't seem surprised. And the aunt says, I've known for a long time what he's capable of. And she said she hasn't seen him since he got out of jail. And Benson says, oh, well, he doesn't have a record. And he was a juvenile. So it was sealed and then expunged. But he was visiting her in the summer and volunteering to clean up Central Park. And a couple of girls said that he touched them. And at first she believed that they were lying. But then she knew he was bad at a moment. Um, and the, like she doesn't want to talk about it. She's like, it, may, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to say it out loud. But something happened either to her or she witnessed that made her LB like oh my nephew's a bad and i'm scared of him um so the detectives explain we're trying to find out where he holds people and she said i mean he liked the docks he liked the ships going in and out and he liked the noise so they cut to a busy precinct and benson says to craigan there's no connection to a seaside thing according to his financials at all and he pays for most things in cash except for rent and that's a red flag obviously paying with cash everywhere Cooper said, yeah, don't you want the airline points? Okay, so Cooper <laughs> says he gets off on the screaming and the sheer terror. So it needs to be a place where they can really scream. He's a sadist. And this is just so scary. Like, to think someone wants, uh, yeah. this is the scariest. 
So Benson goes, well, this key is to a storage facility and that might give him a lot of freedom, like someplace that's dead at night and busy in the daytime. And then he could go there at night. But there's so many places in the city. Like, what is it? And then Benson finds the receipt for Augusta Cruises. What the fuck is that? The phone number is no longer registered. So Cragen knows that when cruise lines go under, they sell their storage spaces to companies and then that's the lead we really need so we know that the augusta cruises sold their property to some storage unit we gotta go so it's river run cruises peers and the guy wants a warrant uh to search shit and they're like are you fucking kidding me there's dead women someone was torturing women here and you're fucking gonna do what we tell you so he gives in of course you don't really turn down when both of them stare you down and it's a big squad team, lots of people, lots of rounding up guns, bulletproof vests, like everyone is ready to get in there. Um, but I don't know why you need all those guns and stuff like the guy's dead, but maybe, you know, he had a partner in case he had an accomplice. Yeah. Um, so then Benson is told to stand back and she takes my dad's approach and is like, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Hell yes. So she goes. <laughs> so then we hear torture. Like, it's bad. And like the set designer did a really good job. Like maybe we should look into what they're up to because this torture chamber seems very realistic. It's um, so scary. It's a really scary murder. Drip den. drops. Also, there are drip drops. Like I said before, a sure sign you're about to find like a murder den. Wait, what? Remember in another episode we did, I was like there when there's the sound of like drip, drip, drip. Oh, like, yeah. like you always know you're about to see something really creepy. Yeah, there's tubes and hooks and metal and chains and sounds of screaming and like it's just really scary. And then the sounds of the torture are coming from a TV, though, and it shows a video of a woman in a tub being tortured and screaming. And there is that version of an, uh, the tub in the torture chamber and it's empty right now. So that video is to terrorize a victim. So there's got to be a victim. And so they're slowly walking and looking at all these machines and it is really scary. And I have a personal story to add to this so this is obviously horrific like when you think about the worst things that can happen to you in the fear it's like i don't want to get kidnapped and tortured like that is yeah. the thing like yeah so many different crimes it's like uh, to be changed to a thing knowing you'll never escape torture watch it's i can't think of anything worse this yeah, is yeah, yeah. made of nightmares so Years ago, I would say seven, eight years ago, I did DMT with a group of friends and we went in one at a time and one at a time, everyone did DMT and everyone I saw, I saw a rainbow civilization of people dancing to Al Green. I saw outer space. I saw like <sighs> rainbow, like I saw God, right? I saw oh outer space God. and like the existence of like, like it really was an amazing moment. My body felt great. And we're all going in one at a time. And then our friend Dave is reacting weird and we don't know why, but he's not telling us cause he's a good drug taker. So he's not going to like say anything bad that happened and fuck up someone else's high. So he's just standing in the bathtub, smoking cigarettes outside the window. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? So then after we all do drugs, he tells us he had the worst trip of his life and that his DMT trip was that he was chained down to a table, knew he was about to be tortured, but couldn't do anything about it. Oh, my God. And so the good thing with DMT is it is only like 10, 15 minutes. But for 10, 15 minutes, he was in his brain chained to a table and couldn't escape. Wow. And do you think that that's like something that is in your mind that like 
obviously, right? Like, isn't that the drugs just bringing something that's deep in your subconscious to the surface, right? Yeah, my, our theory was like, our friend Dave is like kind of a golden retriever in a way. He's like a happy-go-lucky, positive, chill dude who's not really bothered. So may, maybe the universe needed to instill fear in him or something. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yikes. Like, I have no idea, but... um. It is the worst thing I can imagine. And I guess the best way to imagine it is on a drug trip because it's not real. But yeah, um, but he's done DMT since and loved it. So, OK, well, wow. I'm glad he was able to give it another shot. Well, because we were like having the time of our lives. He was so jealous. I didn't know it was such a short high. That's it cool. is. And it feels awesome. And then we all did it again, but all at once. And then I would <laughs> open my eyes and people were like, it was like, it was awesome. I, if you get DMT, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, so there's like piles of VHS tapes and it's just like really scary in there. And Chester says that there's nobody in here, but thank God there's better detectives in the room. So Benson opens like this metal container that's under the torture chamber and there's a girl in there. Which is like very reminiscent, by the way, of slaves when like there's that push pressure like thing under the bed. You know, it's like not everything is what it seems. Yeah. Um, She's in bra and underwear. She's taped up. She's scared and she's screaming through the tape, like shuffling, twitching, screaming. Her hands are black. So like maybe frozen or something like uh, frostbite, torture, I don't know what it is, but she's injured. Um, And Erica keeps screaming uneducated suggestions. She was like, move her, (laughs) remove the tape. And Benson's like, go away. We cannot move her. She might have a spinal injury and we cannot rip the tape off without a solution or skin will rip. Like you are not good at this. Shut the fuck up and then cooper goes and grabs some torture knife and starts heading towards the girl what i what was she thinking what was she thinking fucking nuts so the girl of course goes insane and benson's like what are you doing and then erica does this movement of like oh what do you want me to do like uh, arms in the air and it's like don't take a torture scalpel to a torture victim how about what were you gonna do (laughs) cut her mouth open like fuck god Ugh, these behavioral experts they know nothing Uh. so the girls are in the hospital and benson and eric are talking shop like how long has this victim been there um the girl so the victim is in critical condition the doc says what happened to her and they respond everything so uh, unfortunately she's too weak for surgery so even like they can't even help her she like they can't perform the surgery she needs because she's too weak for surgery but they're just pumping her up with fluids and antibiotics and really trying to get her back um and then this is like a scene they only do They don't do this very often, but it's a powerful scene where Benson and Erica, they get to work and they take pictures of all the injuries. And it's just like really brutal. (sighs) And then they fingerprint her black and purple fingers. And it's just it's a lot. Benson explains, like, we need to find her family and find out who she is, because if she's not going to make it, which is likely we need the family here. And um, Agent Cooper can't handle it and she starts bawling and crying and she's like i'm not okay this is not what i'm used to i don't deal with victims um and so it just proves the point that how important the special victims unit really is so we're back at the station with Cragen and lake and you know not a dynamic duo we're like what is <laughs> happening like where are the where are the other detectives but basically jersey is playing hardball with the evidence and it's like what 
Why wouldn't you want what? I don't understand playing big dick games when it comes to torture and evidence. Like, oh, is Jersey where the Augusta Cruises was? Like, yeah. Is that, oh, OK. Got it. And it's like, just why are we playing uh, jurisdiction games when it's like full torture chambers? It's so yeah. angering. Um, and it wouldn't be so angry if we didn't know oh, this happens all the time in real life. Right. So basically, Chester is just one track mind. He's like, we got to see who sent the email. We got to see who sent the email. And he says, Teru enhanced the footage, which we know is not a thing that happens in <laughs> not, real life. Not real. Um, but boom, baby. Who is it? He sees who it is. It's Agent Cooper. <gasps> Agent Cooper bum, bum, bum. sent the email. She is found on the security cam footage in a baseball cap, leaving the internet cafe. And it's like, you're a fucking FBI agent and a baseball cap does not hide your identity. Like, I can't believe that she just didn't know that she would be caught on like multiple CCTV cameras that are like all over the seed, the city. Yeah. She's an idiot. Maybe she didn't realize like, yeah, you knew they were going to try to find who sent the email. Yeah, yeah. it was bad. Um, Benson comes into Craigan's office. Novak is there waiting and they tell Benson about the Internet Cafe scoop. And Benson is like, there must be a reason like that's not her. That's not her. And Benson goes, you don't know her. And Novak's like, neither do you. <laughs> like, we yeah. just met her a few days ago. Be real, girl. Um, during the talk, Craigan gets a call that Amy Doe died. Which, like, hammers home what, like, Erica did is bad. Because if she just sent this email, found the body, it wouldn't be that bad. But because of her not being up front right away, the, you know, we could have saved Amy Doe. Yeah. So Erica's now in interrogation and Benson walks in. And you know we're about to have an amazing scene. Benson does have like a weird gold clasp right underneath her titties on her shirt. Did you notice it? It was like <laughs> I didn't. not a bell, but like right under her boobs, there was just like a gemstone silver clasp. And it's very Real Housewives of OC early seasons. <laughs> I, I, I like, can see that. Yeah. Uh, Benson says she's waiting for an FBI officer to like come kind of like a union rep, I, I would guess. And Erica goes, no, I know what's up. I don't care. I pass. I don't just talk to me. Yeah. So she said, hey, so did you send an email to the parks department about the dead dog? And she responds, how do you want me to respond to that? And Benson goes, well, I'd love for you to say no, but you can't, can you? Burn. Mm. She's like, wow, must be so many confessions in this room trying to free the soul of a burden. And Benson says, do you sleep at night? And she goes, I sleep fine. And then Benson says, did you kill him? And she says, I have the right to remain silent. And, you know, the rest of the speech. She doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. So then Benson shows Agent Cooper the photo of her leaving the cafe and she tears up a little bit and says, stop pretending you're on my side. I know there's a search warrant on my apartment right now. We're not friends. And it's like, you know, the warrant process, but you didn't know you'd be caught on every single camera leaving yeah. the cafe. <laughs> So we're at Agent Cooper's apartment and there's a CSU tech and Chester Lake and Chester's in a leather jacket and he's looking for a trophy. He knows he knows there's a trophy. This person would want to look at it. He goes as soon as they wake up and go to bed, he wants it. And he's like staring and really like being annoying. If you were there, you'd be annoyed with his personality yeah. for sure. <laughs> and he's like, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? He lays down in her bed and he sees it. And in a spice rack where all the spices are like in test tubes in one of them there's the bullet casing so chester lake comes through 
Come through, mama. Okay. <laughs> so then back at the precinct, the FBI like head person, like one of the protectors comes and they're having a back and forth. And Benson implies she's uh, fucking, <laughs> that she's fucked her father figure Tillman. And she goes, how dare you? I wouldn't. And if you publicly malign him, the FBI building will fall on you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> um, okay. But then Chester walks into the interrogation room. I guess there was no traffic that day in Manhattan. And... <laughs> He uh, shows up with the test tube, baby. He shows up with the trophy in a plastic bag and goes, got it. And Benson is upset about this. You know, she thought she really bonded with like this caring other powerful female detective that is so hungry for the job and for justice. So she's pretty betrayed in many ways. But Benson handcuffs her and takes her away. Um, And then her lawyer is Cleo Conrad. Fantastic. The head cops are marching in the precinct um, in between court scenes. uh, And Novak's wearing three layers. Again, I will never be able to not see this. Um, so we have a woman, I don't think I've ever, there's a woman, ADA Lydia Ramos for the people. And she says all the charges are dropped. And let's go drink pina coladas, honey. It's like, what? <laughs> what is happening? And sh- the judge says, you're free to go. And I, I don't understand what's happening. And then we cut back and the head cops are like filling Cragen in. And they're like, listen, the DA is arguing with the cops and Novak and people are protecting her. It's just like a fucking conniption fit. But basically high up governments are letting her go. And it's like, but also they're worried because it's like, what jury's ever even going to find her guilty? She killed a fucking sadist who has 24 victims. America loves a rogue FBI agent for justice. So it's like, why even do this? And the head cop marshal guy is like, don't you have anything? We need a final piece of evidence where she confesses or there's no charges. And Benson wants her to walk, though. Benson's like, who cares? Yeah. She did it. Like, let her go. I'm I'm on the whatever, whoever pulled the strings to let her go. I'm fine with it. I'm confused why the bullet casing isn't enough evidence, though. But maybe they need the gun. I have no yeah. idea. But she wants to let her go. She yeah, she wants a brunch friend. Like She's like, no, this is my new best friend. You can't take her <laughs> away from me. So Craig and Novak are fighting against her. And so is Huang, too. Like, what is going to happen? They're all fighting. And Huang's like, she's not going to confess. So profile the profiler. She staged the crime scene and inserted herself in an investigation and kept a trophy. She is bad. Oh, God. And also, how did she even find him? So Huang's like, she found more info about him that she didn't put into the profile. And all the jurisdictions didn't share info with each other. So it's like so many secrets. It's so sad. Like, it's really appalling. But yeah, so she was keeping all this information for herself to like do some sort of revenge for her Tillman guy um, and was hindering the investigation in the long and like the big picture because she didn't put the info into the profile. Did she keep the gun question 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 mark uh benson goes wait does tillman have guns maybe there are more guns so they show up to tillman's old place and the widower is there so maybe she knows something about the guns she right away when asked about the gun is like what is this about my girl lauren cooper um yeah i gave the gun to lauren as a keepsake as a keepsake 
because I don't like having guns in the house. And they keep trying to get information out of her. And she goes, I'm not giving a statement. I'm not cooperating. I love Lauren. So go fuck yourself. And she's not going to lie, but she's not going to help put her away. So Godspeed, get the fuck out of here. Keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> Benson's like, oh, we need to hurry up because obviously she's calling her right now and like filling her in. So since Tillman used the same gun to kill himself, the casings are matched. So like, the casing from the bullet from the gun <laughs> that Tillman committed suicide matches the casings found on the crime scene. So finally. And the ballistics, right? Yeah, there's like a full ballistics report. Well, yeah, that's what the, the case ballistics are. The casings about the bullets. Mm, yeah, but it's also like the striations that come out of the gun and stuff. But yeah, I took I took forensics uh, chemistry in college. So um, did you really I know two things? Yeah. <laughs> what else do you know? No, nothing. Sublimination of fingerprints. We did that. We did a sublimination thing where you use this gas to make fingerprints show up on soda cans. I can't believe you've never mentioned it in our personal friendship or on the show that you took a forensic <laughs> psychology class when we've been doing this podcast for months. You know what? I don't know why I haven't brought it up. And it was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be that class. That's how I felt about food science. Really yeah. hard. Pectins. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I thought this was nutrition. Like, I don't <laughs> what is that? I don't need to know how molecules form chicken. I know. Um, I was like, are we just going to watch CSI? And no, it was like a lot harder and involved experiments. Well, see if you can find any of your old information. OK. Any old notebooks. This is thrilling information. <laughs> Hopefully the listeners will let you know how pissed they are. Hopefully they're as pissed <laughs> as I am. Never mentioned it. What um, year was I think it was sophomore year. Anyway, go on. <laughs> are you calling your own self old? Did you just read yourself? <laughs> so Benson and Lake enter the apartment. And listen, baby girl, Erica, she's sitting. She's ready. She's at a desk um, with her hair pulled tight, pulled back. Uh, forever. She'll never change. Um, and then on the desk, clean ass desk, there's a badge and a gun on the table. Yeah. So Benson asks, where is Tillman's gun? And she says in many pieces all over the city, which I love. Why, why has no one else gotten rid of a weapon like this? Yeah. That, I, I, I don't know why I've never seen it. I wonder if I've they got it from somewhere. I've actually thought of that before because of this episode. I thought if I ever, like, you know, when I'm constantly planning a crime in my head, I'm like, I would leave evidence in pieces all over the city. Like, if I had something. Yeah, I just can't believe it. But it's like the best way. Yeah, stick one thing over here, over here, over here. I mean, the yeah. city is busy. Like, you probably can't <laughs> do this in, you know, a tiny town in Iowa. But in New York, <laughs> you can hide a gun everywhere. I bet you can do it in Iowa. My bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> everyone could hide their murder weapons. Sorry, Iowa. You can hide a gun, too. <laughs> <laughs> she said she didn't need it anymore. She's like, listen, I'm going to jail. Are you happy? And Benson goes, no, I would have been happy collaring this son of a bitch with you that killed 24 women. I thought we were friends. Yeah. But that wouldn't have satisfied her at all. Like she she needed to kill this guy for herself. So but Benson's great at police work. She takes the gun from the desk, hands it to Chester so they feel safe. Cooper's like, okay, let's stop doing this game. Like, you know, you want to kill all these assholes. And Benson goes, no, I have too much to lose. And we lost a victim. And Cooper goes, I did everything I could to save her. Even after she put the gun to like the woodsman's head, she didn't give up. And like she tried and he wouldn't give anything up. So she killed his dumbass and then sent the email to help find her. She goes, you have to believe me. You have to believe me. But to me, it's like, if she just said, listen, there was a scuffle, I caught him, I killed him. 
let's get to it. Would she have gotten in trouble? Like if she came forward, I think, well, I don't know. I think because of the way that she shot him in the back of the head, flushed to the head, it's like clear that she executed him and she couldn't really, she couldn't really claim self-defense. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, like, it seems like that would have been the best thing to do. Be like, I tried. He he came at me. I shot him, you know? Yeah. Uh, Benson says, listen, I can't condone what you did, but I understand it. Uh, 24 women are dead. So the DA is going to go easy on you. And Cooper responds, I'm sorry, I can't. And Benson says, just take the deal. And Cooper goes, no. Because those who fight monsters should make damn sure they don't become one. Quickly, gun from behind her back, she kills herself. Shoots herself in the fucking head. It's so... This scene is so crazy and fucked up. And Benson fully crime screens. This is a very intense performance. Like, I want to know everything about this scene. Um, They really bring the best out of each other. But yeah, I've never seen Benson. I have. But Benson really is emotional here. It's a stellar performance. Um, She walks away. She's breathing really hard. She's crying and is so upset. And I think there's even more deepness to it because she really thought that, like, like, this was going to be her girl, you know, a yeah. best friend forever yeah. and saw a lot of herself in it and probably also is like, am I going to become a monster? Um, and we see, you know, pieces of that when she's beating the shit out of William Lewis, even though he deserves everything that happens to him. But anyways, yada, yada. Yes. Yeah. So Cooper's dead. Benson's crying. Um, Lake just looks back and is just like, oh, geez. Like he looks at the blood like he's Dexter. <laughs> like he's really... <laughs> Him and the blood have a moment. Um, There's a caution tape montage. Uh, Benson is sad. There's a stretcher. Melinda walks in to console her and take evidence. And then Benson is shook as hell. And it zooms in on her like in this Backstreet Boy style pose on the ground. Like she's about to sing a love song. And um, (laughs) if you know the Backstreet Boys music video catalog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's Dick Wolf. Oh my gosh. That scene though, that scene, like late, it's just like, it's such a quiet scene of just them talking. And then suddenly Lake is like gun. And like, it's like, boo, 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 and like, it's so fast. And Olivia's scream is like the editor. I have to give the editor props there. Cause it just yeah. goes so fast and, and well, I also wonder how much she had to practice taking the gun out from behind her back so fast, yeah. or if that was smooth. a body double or something, but that's right. like a One lot smooth of motion. That's like pretty hard too. So that's that. Yeah. Well, it's not getting any better. I got to tell you what the real crime. So stick around and we'll be back to traumatize you. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective 
detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right. So, yeah, not like you ever really need a trigger warning, but this episode is this episode. Sorry, this episode of real life is very, very graphic and fucked up. So if you don't want to hear about it, maybe you want to fast forward, skip around, have your hand ready on that forward 30 button, whatever. Um, Okay, so this episode, uh, as listed on some websites, is kind of based on two crimes, but like the first one's very not important. Like, so I'm I'm just going to really quickly tell you about um, one very tenuously connected crime is the case of Todd Allen Reed, who was known as the Forest Park Killer. So I think that's like where the woodsman, that's like the only kind of similarity and that this man, um, he's called a serial killer because he had three victims, but He raped and strangled three homeless women in Portland, Oregon, between April and June of 99, dumped their bodies in a forest park preserve. And then he was like found very quickly, convicted very quickly and received three terms of life. And um, there's really not that much in common except the nicknames and like the dumping in a park is similar, I guess. And then um, I did think one interesting thing about this uh, crime that I thought you would like to Lisa is that one of the ways that he was caught was a female cop went undercover as a sex worker to draw him out. And we always love to see it. You know, yes, a a fun, a fun little, you know, one of the things we talked about on uh, Jensen and Holes is that we love an undercover female cop. So uh, the more closely linked case is the case of David Parker Ray, who is known as the toy box killer. And this is a very, very scary person. No surprise. Ray had a fucked up childhood. He and his younger sister, Peggy, lived with their disciplinarian grandfather. And uh, occasionally their father, who was a violent alcoholic, would visit them and would bring Ray sadomasochistic pornography. So that obviously shaped his view of uh, women and sex from a young age. He was bullied in school like everybody. Uh, He had sexual fantasies of raping, torturing, and murdering women that developed in his teenage years. His sister would find these sadomasochistic drawings that he did, as well as pornographic photographs of bondage and stuff like that, which is not in and of itself like something that, you know, um, denotes a serial killer. But I think all combined, these things contributed to a very, very disturbed person. Ray was married and divorced four times and had two children, including a daughter named Jessie. And we will find out more about her later. Ray was living in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Have you ever heard of that place, Lisa? It's a fun Mm, name. Truth or Consequences is one of these places that has a strange name. It's in New Mexico. He was working as a mechanic and a park ranger. Very well, similar. I want to know who named like that's not even a name. Those are just two things. 
I don't know. I don't know why it's called Truth or Consequences, but it's like it's on a list of interesting town names or whatever for the U.S. Um, Ray had a truck trailer that he outfitted as a torture chamber. He soundproofed it and set it up with a ton of devices used for sexual torture, and he called it his toy box. Um, So this is disturbing. But some of the things found inside the toy box were whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps leg spreader bars, surgical blades, electric shock machines, saws, sex toys, syringes, and detailed diagrams showing ways of inflicting pain, as well as a homemade electrical generator used for torture. A mirror was mounted on the ceiling above the obstetric table where he strapped his victims because he wanted his victims to see everything he was doing to them. Ugh. This is like how sometimes there's a mirror in the delivery room so you can like see yourself giving birth. And I don't know who would want to do that. That's so funny. That's where your brain went. They're going to be like, you know, sometimes it's fun. There were a mirror on top of your bed in a hotel room. (laughs) I went to giving birth. Yeah. Nature's torture. The closest. Yeah. The closest form of torture that's happened to me. And uh, this is so, so, so fucked up. But he had this wooden contraption he would put his victims in that would bend him o- them over and immobilize them so that he could rape them. And he would have, and, and it said, and have other friends rape them and have dogs rape them. It says as well. I, I'm, I'm so like horrified by this. It's like, so, they, so he had friends come to the torture chamber and think nothing of it. I think it's people that like, you'll find out. I'll tell you in a second, but he had a male accomplice at one point. Got it. So that man was probably helping too. And I don't know. Yeah. I think that it's possible he had friends that were like, oh, this is a sex worker. He's paying her for this or something like that. I have no, I have no idea. That she's screaming, like, screaming and torture like that. Yeah. Like, no, ugh. it's beyond fucked. It's so it's awful. Um, He had an audio tape recording of his voice that he played for victims whenever they regained consciousness, detailing all the fucked up shit he was going to do to them. When he was eventually captured, authorities found his journal where he kept meticulous records detailing the victims that he had abducted and what he had done to them. And there were dozens of entries, but there were no names, only dates and the numbers of times he tortured the victims and like what he did. Basically, he would kidnap five to six women a year, hold them captive for around three to four months. He often had accomplices such as women he was dating and even his own daughter, Jessie. She was one of his accomplices that would help him actually lure victims. He also had an accomplice named Dennis Roy Yancey. So when he was finished like with a victim, he would either kill them or drug them with barbiturates to induce amnesia and then just like abandon them on the side of the road. So um, in one of the tape recordings of him that they found, he is telling one of his victims that the drugs are sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. So he was basically just trying to induce amnesia or like make people think that they dreamed what happened to them or I don't even know. So in March of 1999, Cynthia Vigil, a sex worker, was in a parking lot in Albuquerque, which is hours away from truth or consequences, when she was approached by Ray posing as an undercover police officer. And he told her that she was under arrest and handcuffed her. She tried to fight back. And out of nowhere, his girlfriend named Cindy Hendy, which actually Cindy is short for Cynthia. They had the same name, which is creepy. Um, Cindy Hendy showed up and shocked Cynthia with a cattle prod. And that's when they got her into the car, drove her to this trailer, this toy box where she was taser drugged, blindfolded and chained to a bed. Then he played his instruction tape 
which is his voice saying, quote unquote, okay, bitch, we both know what you've been brought here for. I'm going to use you for a sex slave and it's going to be painful as hell. That's the way I want it to be, end quote. So, so scary. Three days later, she waited until Ray had gone to work and then she found the keys. The keys were just like left on a table that she could reach and she unlocked her chains. Um, what? She that was, sounds like I can't Well, believe. she was there with Cindy. Cindy Hendy, this girlfriend, was supposed to be watching her. So I don't wow. know if he paid attention to where he left the keys because he's like, oh, I've got someone watching her. I don't know. It seems nuts. Maybe she figured out a way to like move a table closer when Cindy wasn't watching. I don't know. But she noticed Vigil trying to escape and a fight ensued. Hendy tried to stab. She broke a lamp over Cynthia Vigil's head and she stabbed her with an ice pick, but then Vigil got the ice pick back from her and stabbed her in the neck with an ice pick. Hell fucking yeah. And she escaped. She escaped completely naked, wearing only the iron slave collar and padlock chains that were like around her. And she ran into the road looking for help, uh, which she got from a nearby homeowner who like took her in, comforted her, called the police and her escape obviously led officials to the trailer and instigated the capture of Ray and his accomplices. Police stopped Ray and Hendy. They found them. Ray was taken to jail. Um, and after the publicity surrounding the arrest, another victim, Angelica Montano, came forward. Angelica said that Cindy Hendy, the same woman, girlfriend of Ray's, had invited her over to Ray's house, where the couple then repeatedly raped and tortured her over the course of four days. Um, she was convinced they were going to kill her and she begged for her life and told them she had a young child, which seemed to touch the woman. So they, I guess that's how they let her go. And she was picked up while hitchhiking by an off-duty deputy. And he thought her story was so nuts that he didn't believe her. So there's that. Another police officer not believing someone. Um, Ray had a video that they found when they searched his place of a woman named Kelly Garrett, which dated from 1996. This is nuts. Garrett was found alive in Colorado after police identified a tattoo on her ankle. She testified that she'd gotten to a fight with her husband and decided to spend the night playing pool with friends. When she's out playing pool, she meets Jesse, Ray's daughter, who knew Garrett. They meet up. Then she takes her to the Blue Water Saloon in Truth or Consequences, then drugs the beer she's drinking. And um, Garrett remembers walking out to the parking lot and suffered uh, a blow from behind, which knocked her unconscious. Then Ray took her back to the trailer, attached a dog collar and a leash to her neck, and she woke up and blacked out several times during the two days of torture and drugging. So then when he was getting rid of Kelly, he slashed her throat open and thought that he had killed her and then dumped her on the side of the road. And um, she was she actually survived and she was treated for her injuries at a local clinic. Her husband didn't believe her story. The police did not believe her story. Her husband thought that she had just been cheating on him the night she was attacked. And he ended up like divorcing her. And since she was completely unable to remember what happened to her, I think because of all the drugging, she never reported the incident. And that happened in 1996, which was three years before Vigil was abducted. And who knows how many girls in between. It's just like when the story is so crazy, wouldn't that be reason to be like, oh, no one could make this up? Like, I the fuck everybody. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's infuriating. And Jesus, I don't know why there wouldn't be at least an investigation. But I, I mean, maybe because... The, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate for the cops at all, but I'm like, maybe because they're drugged that their, their details don't make as much sense or something. And then yeah, the but that's the like, point. This girl's on fucking drugs. I, yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, if someone is drugged or they're on drugs, it does not negate what happens to them. There is no. Yeah, I just don't think there's any sort of excuse or reasoning for a cop not to investigate an active, like, complaint. And something so fucked up, like someone kept you hostage for days. Like, I just don't think. Like, wouldn't it be better to just make sure it's fake? Like, oh, you know what? I'm going to dot my I's, cross my T's and make sure there's not a torture fucking trailer in my town. Right. Oh, this bitch is on drugs. Okay. Uh, what? Yeah. Guess what? A lot of victims are on drugs. Yeah. I don't think like cop people are listening to us anymore. They've made it clear they're not a fan of what we say. But it's <laughs> like if you are someone that it does not see what's happening, like how do you listen to our podcast case after case? Hear how terrible police are from state to state in Canada. We've done crimes all over. And it's just like, yeah, they don't investigate. Yeah, it's 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 wild that multiple of these women were just basically denied by the cops. Um, not even just just one woman, Kelly, like they didn't believe Angelica Montano either. Like, luckily, they believed fucking Cynthia because she wandered into traffic in fucking with a slave collar on her. And then there you can kind of deduce that she's telling the truth that something fucked up happened to her. I'm sure they even talked about like maybe she liked that. Yeah. And now she's just regretting it. Yeah, because she's a sex worker. So there's like, you know, they love to deny sex workers. There's truth. Um, Now, aside from uh, Cindy Hendy and the daughter, Jesse, that's when they discover uh, Dennis Yancey as an accomplice. Yancey admitted to strangling his former girlfriend, Marie Parker, after Ray had kidnapped and tortured her. But he claimed Ray made him do it. And after that murder, Ray also admitted to having accomplice, allegedly having accomplice named Billy Bowers, a previous business partner who Ray murdered. But the FBI sent hundreds of agents to examine Ray's property and surroundings and no identifiable human remains were found. But it's thought commonly that he killed at least 14 women. But like I also read in an article that he knew how to um, sort of I read it as eviscerate a body so that it would sink to the bottom of a lake, like so that you there's ways that you can make it so that the body won't pop back up and stuff. And the lake that um, was near where he lived was like very, very deep. So it's possible that they were there. I mean, they did drown. They did like uh, search the lake at one point, but there's parts where it's super, super deep. So I don't know how he got rid of these bodies, but there's no fucking way this guy is not a murderer and has not murdered people. And They said one woman remained uncertain that her recollections of abuse were anything but nightmares until she was contacted by the FBI. And after questioning, she remembered more and more, which is crazy. This kind of like what happened in um, uh, Smut, where like, I kind of remember that this man raped me, but the scopolamine situation stopped them from creating new memories. So basically, Ray's attacks were separated into three trials. I don't really understand why it's not clear why they separated him into um, the into all these trials instead of just trying him for all three at once. But for Cynthia Vigil, the woman who uh, escaped at first, there was a mistrial and then there was a retrial. And with the retrial, he was convicted on all 12 counts. Angelica Montano sadly died before her trial and there was no conviction. And then Kelly Garrett, Ray agreed to a plea bargain. So that actually didn't have to go to trial. Either way, Ray was sentenced in 2001 to 224 years in prison in 2001. In 2002, he told the FBI he wanted to cooperate and claimed to have abducted about 40 women and was like, come, come question me. I'll tell you everything. So they arranged to have him questioned by the state police. 
On May 28, 2002, he was taken to Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, but died of a heart attack before the interrogation took place. So this motherfucker only was in jail for one year for all these crimes and then died of a heart attack before he could give them all this information that would have given closure to probably tons of people that are missing their loved ones that have gone missing. So, so fucked up and unfair. Um, his daughter, Jesse Ray, was tried for kidnapping, got two and a half years in prison and five years of probation. That's not enough. I think that's sort of nuts that that's what she got when she lured people. Maybe she was able to prove like prove that she was abused and under his control, too, or something like, I don't know. That yeah. seems like so fucking not a long time yeah. in prison. For sure. Um, Dennis Roy Yancey was convicted of the strangulation murder of Marie Parker. He served 11 years in prison and then was released on parole. I don't know why. And he violated his parole and went back to serve the rest of his original sentence until this year, 2021. So I think Dennis Yancey is either out or about to be out. In 2000, Cindy Hendy, who was uh, his accomplice girlfriend, testified against him and received a sentence of 36 years for her crimes. She was scheduled to get parole in 2017, and she actually was kept an extra two years in jail and was released in 2019 after serving two years of her parole in prison. I didn't know you could serve parole in prison, but but this is this kind of sentencing and what's going on here is what makes me so mad about the Nashawn Williams case again. You know, like we have this person who did bad things, obviously, uh, statutory rape and like. It's not telling, but it's like this man strangled his girlfriend to death and got 11 years and then was allowed back out onto those streets. But Nashawn Williams is being held indefinitely. Yeah. So that that's why that case like it's so fucked up. This is horrifying. Yeah. This case is super, super fucked up, but it's clear that the episode got like a lot of the ideas for this um, like torture room of the woodsman from this killer, the toy box killer. and. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't get their police work ideas from here because they just would have said, nah, no thanks. Ugh. Well, stay so tuned. We do have a palate cleaning cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> we have an amazing guest, I would say. A huge get. I'm excited. So stay tuned. <laughs> Today's guest is a really huge moment in my life, I would say. I uh, was really excited that we got her. That's a clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys, though, may know her from the movie Traffic, Swim Fan, The Banger Sisters, or as Julia Braverman Graham on the show Parenthood. You can catch her coming up on the Disney Plus movie Cheaper by the Dozen coming out next year. It's a remake. But if you watch today's episode, you know her as Special Agent Lauren Cooper. Please dive into our chat with the legendary Erica Christensen. So I'm a huge Parenthood person. I'm a Braverman fanatic. I watched it all. Well, I didn't watch the last few episodes because I knew what was going to happen and I wasn't ready for it. So I still <laughs> have it. it. Yeah, I couldn't take it. Um, and so I just can't believe we're talking to you. But in terms of Parenthood, you know, Mae Whitman also did an SVU. Yes, I heard about that. I, you know what? I haven't seen that one either, but they. I feel like mine and hers always replay at the same time, like the same night. Maybe they're doing a parenthood marathon. Yeah. People do. They do that. Yeah. Maybe they're doing like cheeky little nudge to us. Yes. So I guess we'll start from the beginning. We're assuming this was an offer only. 
no auditions. <laughs> Wait, what? That's so funny because, uh, yes, it was, <laughs> but I have like a weird thing about that because I, when I audition and I get a job, then I like, I feel like I've earned it. You know, obviously they hired me for a reason and I know what I'm doing with this character and everything and we're good to go. And sometimes when it's an offer only, I've talked to Michael Rosenbaum about this too on his podcast where we're like, yeah, sometimes it takes you a second to be like, wait, what, what am I, do I know what I'm doing here? And it's not like you can just play yourself or some idea like, no, okay, so this chick is an FBI agent. I'm like, cool. I- I'm literally like, how many years of school do you have to do? To be? And, I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and when I got to set too, they were like, oh yeah, you're 14. And I was like torn between the fact that that is, I think, a compliment, but also what am I, am I right for this role? You know, like, can I pull this off? You pulled it off. You definitely Definitely. did. I remember remember also getting, getting shit like on the first day, like, are are you chewing gum? And I was like, no, I'm, uh, no, I guess I'm like nervously like chewing on my tongue. Okay. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay. That actually was a character choice, but that one's going to go cool. Cool. (laughs) And I'm sure like the severe ponytail and the tight thing got you more into character and like the outfits too. Cause those are some like pulled back buttons yes and um the weight of like having a gun and even just a badge on my belt was different i was like whoa no your badge was so cool it was we talked about it because it was i've never seen a badge on an outfit like that was like sideways it was like slipped on in a really cool way so i'm yeah you were the only one who had a sideways badge that i've ever (laughs) seen and did you know marishka or anyone from the the crew no I'd never met anyone. Wow. Wow. She was so comfortable there, obviously. And she knew what she was doing. So she was so stable, you know, and she, I think, saw me kind of having these moments of like, what? Okay. Abandon my character note. Cool. I'm, I'm too young for this role. Okay. Awesome. Let's do this. You know, like (laughs) found me being like, wow. All right. New to the show. And she just like invited me like, Oh, come to my, come to my room at lunch or something. And we sat and chatted and she was so kind. And so, um, just gracious about, about having me there and, and helped me feel more comfortable. It was awesome. You brought out really good performances in each other. It seems like, I mean, you guys really had an, an awesome back and forth. Yeah. And, and obviously with the final, the, the climax of the show there, it was, it was so cool. And so, and so emotionally charged for us. Did you have to train how to get the gun from behind that fast? Or was that a double or what? Like that was fast, fast movement. Oh no. Oh, it was, uh, that was just me. I think cause that since that was all you were really going to see was the gun coming up. They were just like, great, just get the gun up. Well, that whole episode honestly was very, um, felt a little bit more like a movie than the regular, like than a regular episode of the show. Like, I mean, I'm obsessed with Silence of the Lambs, so I draw a lot of parallels, but I felt like obviously the young FBI agent and the serial killer and all this was, you know, 
uh, definitely gave me a Silence of the Lambs vibe. And um, I was, yeah, I don't know what made it such a different feel to the episode. Maybe just because there was this like second, you were the secondary character that was just alongside Marishka the whole time. But um, how did you get like, how did, what, I mean, I know you said you like looked up how long it takes to like go to school to be an FBI agent and stuff like that. But like, she was so intense and she's like from the foster care system and has this like hard exterior. Like, how did you, but then also is very emotionally moved by all the torture that she's seeing. So like, how did you, I don't know. What, how'd you do that? What's my question? (laughs) Good question. Um, I, it's funny because from the moment you meet her, she's already having to put up this deceitful front. Yes. But at the same time, all of her emotions are so raw and so real. Um, and But she's like trying to be a hard ass about it, right? I felt like the deceit of her just kind of being like, I need everybody to be on my team right now just so we can get my mission done, even though it's not exactly... <laughs> they think they're kind of solving one aspect of it. And I'm interested in another aspect of it because they don't know that I actually offed this guy. You know, that whole thing I think is what was playing off of her feeling like, yes, I may look like I'm 14, but I have legitimate authority and I'm educated as hell. And so just don't mess with me. Like I actually know what the fuck I'm doing. And that was where Mariska actually gave me an amazing piece of advice too. You know, sometimes you know something, but it takes someone expressing it. Like when they actually articulate it in words and you're like, yes, okay. And it was an acting tip with regards to this character who is a person of authority. She said, when uh, when we're like questioning somebody and I've got a picture, like, have you seen this person? I was like shaking the photo because I was getting upset. And she was like, the the power is in the stillness. And I was like, "Um, of course it is. Okay. So just literally don't be shaking the paper in the face of this person, hold up the picture and keep it there. And it was just like, click, you know, it, it, it all makes sense. Um, were you ever scared on set? Like, did that torture room look as scary as it does on the show? Or is it really much like this is a set and I know it, or was it, scary and the video playing with the girl like did it bring up any scary feelings when you would leave set or being on that set I don't think so I think it's uh, that's the benefit of like being on a set is you can look at something that would otherwise be terrifying and just like I guess we just know it's fake it's like you know can you imagine if you had seen that footage that's on SVU and it was a documentary it would be so traumatic yeah but to just to have that little bit like in the back of your mind of the context of like, oh, yeah, this is a show that I love and it's clearly done by actors and it's it's based on true stories. But it's this is not really happening right now. That was my feeling. I was like, yeah, this is fucked up. But I don't know. Good story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a question about that scene where like Marishka's going to first is first confronting you sort of with like the photos of you that kind of prove that you're behind all of this. You're I don't know. The character's just so like playing chess, like, okay, your move. Like, what are you going to ask me? And I just like 
did you guys like talk about that in advance or like what the vibe was going to be? Because it was really intense because you guys had had this like kind of like sweet, like friendship almost like where even though you're an FBI agent and she's a cop, she's teaching you all these ways to deal with victims and stuff because you don't really do that. And uh, then in that scene, it was kind of like she's bummed because she really liked you. <laughs> so like I, I, I kind of love that scene. And I was just wondering yeah, if she you had any, like thought that they were for, like, I feel like. Olivia Benson was like, oh, I've met my a friend. This yeah. is going to be my bitch in the FBI and we're going to like solve <laughs> crimes together. Like that's part of the heartache, I think, at the end, too, where she was just like, that's me or like that. Could have been the, me. Yeah, yeah, we're the same. I don't know. For real. And that's well, that's the whole that's ultimately the whole point is like, don't let this happen to you because you live in this world and it can happen to you because when you're just too close to it, you know? As far as that interrogation scene, what's interesting is that they both, aside from what was really happening, they both genuinely connected and and had hopes for the future of this friendship. You know, had she gotten away with it, that might have just been a nice friendship. You know, there she's too Benson's too smart. You can't you can't actually like be friends with somebody that's gonna discover what you've done <laughs> but right. yeah but in the meantime for them to have really connected have been like oh here's here's a young smart girl i see something of myself in her and we're passionate and but she doesn't have the real you know the like the street experience and so all of that was so nice and but i think um i think what's interesting is just like the arrogance of all right, you, you caught me, but like, prove it. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. You know, what, what, what really happens now? Because I did what I thought was a justified thing. And then her conscience catches up with her clearly, but like that, just that, just, you know, when somebody, when somebody first starts to get caught and they just dig their heels in Mm -hmm. and they like lie even harder. Oh yeah. That's like, it, yeah. In real life, when you watch interrogation and yeah, they just dig in. You're right. They just at first are like, whoa, what are you talking about? And then within the hour, they're like, OK, here's how I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's all. Yeah, it's like, you know, as far as the chess game, right? It's like prove that you're worthy. You're you're a worthy opponent here. Yeah. I'm not just going to give it to you like I am smarter than you. You need to earn it here. That's so true. Yeah. Cause the, an FBI agent is not going to come in and be like, you got me. Like she obviously yeah. is like, all right, show me what you got. Like lay your cards out on the table. Yeah. And what do you get recognized the most from? Do people yell swim fan at you in the streets or what? <laughs> before, I think before parenthood, it was swim fan the most. And people would like across the boards. I don't know where this phrasing came from, but people would be like, you're a bad girl. <laughs> Okay, clearly that's that's must Yikes. be with regards to Madison Bell, I guess. But cool, uh, nice to meet you. You're a bad girl. Yikes. Yeah, I don't. It does also sound like a little creepy. Yeah, like like a come on. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think Parenthood now would be the biggest thing. Swim fan changed everything. Cause now that's that like, that's a genre to me. If I see something like it, I'm like, Oh, it's a swim fan moment. 
amazing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that until recently. Um, at that time, all teen movies were like romantic comedies or just kind of like straight up kooky comedies, like American Pie. Yeah. And what's what's that movie with Rachel Lee Cook and, and Freddie Prince Jr.? She's um, all that. She's all that. Yeah. yeah. Can't hardly I feel wait. Like, yeah. yeah. I feel like American Pie, Can't Hardly Wait, She's All That was like, it was really the vibe. And so to change things up so dramatically and be like, this is now teen movies territory. Swim fan and a heist movie. Um, I, yeah. I actually didn't realize how out of the box they were for the time. And I'm like, I'm newly appreciating them myself. I'm like, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, we did something. Well, I have one more really, um, really inane question that has nothing to do with anything, but I was looking you up and I was like, oh, her Twitter is Erica Jane. And I was like, do you know about Erica Jane Girardi, the housewife of Beverly Hills? Oh, no. I thought you were going to ask me about Erica Jane, the porn star. Oh, OK. Well, look, there's a couple people. Um, I did not know about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I maybe should change my handle. Well, oh, just because no. she's in the news right now. She's in the news right now because she's married to a huge lawyer and he's getting busted for embezzling all these funds from like widows and orphan children and, oh, sh- and stuff. God. And she is being like kind of dragged into it that maybe she knew. And I was like, people are so stupid on Twitter. Like people came for Rachel Ray when they meant to come for Rachel Roy after Beyonce made that song. So I was like, I wonder if people are coming for Erica Christian and being like you dumb bitch you stole money from orphans and you're like i'm in parenthood like i was just wondering <laughs> but uh, clearly it hasn't been a problem for you on twitter i just thought it would be a fun now question. more with this porn star it seems like yeah. yeah well listen i mean i don't have my notifications on but i mean i'll look into it <laughs> No, if you want to get into true crime on Hulu, there's um, a special on this housewife and lawyer. The the guy lawyer, her ex, well, now ex-husband, he yeah. is the lawyer that Aaron Barakovich works for. Like, that's who it's based on is this guy. And so he does wow. these giant claim, like uh, class, class actions. Action. And, yeah. and so it's like plain victims and burn victims. And he stole like millions of dollars. And then on the housewives, though, she's buying Chagall's and spends $50,000 a month on glam. And so we are seeing the spending and the FBI took her shit and she's in a small house now. And like, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but oh, my God, that's so wild, because at what point did she become complicit or was she yeah. super naive or like, you know, in the, when when the relationship started, were they young and she was just like, oh, he's or, you know, she was super young and she was like, he's so, you know, yeah. grown and self-made man. I don't know. That's so awful. It's just like the brazenness. Like, you know that you're embezzling all this money and then you're like allowing your wife to go on reality television where you're going to be under a microscope. You're so confident you're not going to get caught that you're like, yeah, go parade our wealth on television. If that's just like, to me, that's the audacity to the highest level that I can't even yes. like believe. Did you, did you, did you see the last season of Bosch? Yes. She loves Bosch. I love Bosch. <laughs> Erica, do you love Bosch? Thank you. I love Bosch. I love LA stories too. Yeah, I love Bosch because it's in LA. I mean, I should watch LA stories. What is that? No, no, I just mean it as a a genre. It's like LA Um, stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a thing too. Um, But what's the other show? There's another, is it another David E. Kelly show that's set in LA? Um, Oh, 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 Goliath. Oh, I've never seen that. 
Now that that's the whole joke of that series is like, how is it winning Emmys when no one has ever heard of the show? <laughs> that is um, the same source material, the same writers source material um, as Bosch. Wow. So oh. theoretically, those characters are half brothers, um, and one's a cop, and one's a lawyer. Uh, before Bosch becomes ultimately a private investigator. But yeah, it's just it's just cool kind of like underbelly of Hollywood, not Hollywood the industry lore. Yeah, Hollywood the place. Yeah. And yes, it is on Amazon. I'm going to watch it. You did it. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, she <laughs> and then I'm going to be searching for LA stories for like 10 <laughs> days. Yes. That was incredible. Thank you, Erica. She was so cool. And I wish you guys could have seen her. She's not aged since she was discovered. And she's so beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, an amazing interview. And I love her. I want to be friends. No, life is wild. I don't know. When you think of these moments to be talking to her is like really nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but let's get into our postmortem. I don't know what we can say we fucking learned from this crazy episode, because how many times are we going to be in a situation involving a serial killer? You know what I learned? <laughs> Even if you escape a torture killer with bruises and marks and blood all over you, the cops still might not believe you. Right. <laughs> so I learned that. I learned you could be fully naked and chained up and escape. And the cops are like, are you sure you didn't do this to yourself? Right. I, are you sure <laughs> you didn't like want you this? you got too drunk at a costume party. Um, yeah, I am not happy with some of the police work in this case, but I, you know, love this woman for fucking stabbing someone with an ice pick and escaping like women are so strong and resilient and can escape. Um, what else? Yeah, I guess maybe escape rooms are more important than we thought. They should rebrand instead of for fun. It's like, will you can you survive? <laughs> it's like training. Maybe I need some escape room training. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, I just tried to joke about escape rooms last night at my show. Was it a fun night at the show? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was really good. When I first pulled up, there was only a few people there. And I was like, what happened to my show while I was away? And now and then like by the end, there was like 75 people or it was great. It was there was a lot of people. It was really good. But I learned that even FBI agents think that they are too smart to be caught. Like, I mean, going into an Internet cafe. First of all, are there still Internet cafes? Oh, we for still sure. Have those? Okay. There's got to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People need to be committing crimes. When I lived in Italy, this is how long ago it was. Like, there was no Wi-Fi. I had to go to an internet cafe down the street to check my fucking email every week and just respond to my family and be like, hey, what's going on? I remember I was, like, in a fight with one of my Italian friends. We were just corresponding over email. And I was like, gotta go check and see if she's responded. <laughs> like paying money to check my email. Can you guys imagine? This was, of course, back in 1975. Life was better. I hate being cons. Because like you said, when I'm on my vacation mode, when I'm out and about, I'm not responding to anything. Like, I don't yeah. want to look. But it makes it see, it's like, what the, f why didn't you respond to stuff? And it's like, I don't like the expectation that I have to. I don't think anybody has that expectation of you. Um, great. <laughs> Good to know. I mean, but I, did I feel know bad. if you're not writing back, I don't think you're dead. I think you're enjoying yourself and you'll get back to me when you get back to me. Yeah, my co uh, my cousin, it was her daughter's birthday. And then, um, you know, I sent her a text and she sent me all these photos of the child and I didn't respond for days. And then I was like, oh, my God, she loves polar bears. But like I did like seeing the pictures, but it's the drunk element, too. When you're drunk, you're just not remembering yeah. what you responded to, what's going on, who's texting. 
And speaking of drunk, get back to we had to stop the intro, but I want to know why you the other story about why you hate that girl. <laughs> yeah, she. Oh, so then she said something. So there was like another whatever, uh, wh- whatever led to this conversation. But she goes, I'm very observant. Like <laughs> I notice things and I'm people watching all the time and I just like get people. And in my head, it's like you think you're the only person people watching you think you're special it's like someone thinking they're the only one who has thoughts or something or like right. i used to do a joke where um i had a roommate who thought she was like a witch because she had deja vu and it's like <laughs> no no no. we're all in deja vu we all like feel like oh i made the right decision because of energy like we're all trying to be connected to the universe but to also think that you are extra observant while two comedians who truly communicate to strangers nightly and connect with human beings that you do not know and make them have an involuntary response you're trying to tell me that you just know about people it's like it just it was wild also are you observing that i hate you like she was she observing that you were like disdainful of her like clearly not Yeah, she just kept trying to talk. Well, because she was someone that couldn't get tickets to the show because it was sold out, but came to the bar next door anyways to get a bite of him. Right. To get but was judging and making fun of all the people that came to the show, but still trying to hang out with him. So she was very much like I didn't go to the show. But it's like, no, you just sat at the bar next door waiting for waiting for the show to let out like a full desperado. OK, judging all these people. And then there was just like a situation where I was like, oh, I didn't get that vibe from that person. I felt a different thing. And she was like, well, I'm like really observant and I just really understand people in situations. And I was like, OK, yeah. No, you're I, I bet you can. I'm honestly dying for you to see her again on this trip because I want more. I want more of this. Oh, I bet she, I mean, it is, it is funny being, um, an, like you just see humanity in like a really funny way. Like if, that's why famous people are so fucked. People are frauds. Like we met this girl at the pool and like, she didn't care. And then suddenly started following me on Instagram and changed the way she treated me fully. Right. You know what I mean? All of a sudden it was like, oh, what's, you know, and it's like, oh, but you weren't going to treat me like this until you saw a check mark. Like that's pretty pathetic for you. Yeah. And just being at a Soho house is tough because everyone's trying to impress each other. And I don't know how much of it's real. Like I smoked weed with some guy up on the roof and he, I was, I mentioned Austin. He's like, I own a house there. And it's like, I don't think you do. Wait, this is what I was just going to say though. We forgot to mention that we're going to be in Austin. Oh yeah, we are. We're going to be at Moon Tower. We mentioned, we've said it before. We don't know our schedule quite yet, but just go to the Moon Tower websites, the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas. It'll say when we're performing. We're both doing stand-up separately. We're doing a, a lot, That's Messed Up live show. It's going to be amazing. Please, if you don't live in Texas, tell your friends. We don't want to be... We want to have people. We want to have, you know, we're going to have a great show. We want people in those seats. So tell your friends to come to Moon Tower. Please. But yeah, this guy I was smoking weed with, he was something New York. He goes, yeah, I own a bunch of galleries in New York. And it's like, do you? Yeah. What's the name (laughs) of it? People are wild. People are wild. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've been wild at times too, but it's just, um, I love, you know, I love observing people. I love being judgmental and figuring (laughs) stuff out. (laughs) 
Um, okay. Let's observe ourselves getting into the, what would sister Peg do segment? Um, this is our weekly segment where we give you guys, uh, resources, organizations that you can, uh, head to, to learn more about what we talked about in today's episode. I don't know. I, I didn't really feel like an organization was that like fit super well with this week's episode. So I just kind of wanted to give you a resource in case you're interested in the toy box killer. Uh, if you're super into the nitty gritty of horrific serial killings, there's a book called cries in the desert, the shocking true story of a sadistic torturer by John Glatt. And that, uh, we have a link to that in our show notes. Beautiful. And next week's episode will be mother. Season five, episode three. And we hope you join along, watch it with us, you know, do your homework, Peacock, Hulu, VPN stick, you know, the drill, go to the library if you have to get on board and I don't know, write to us on Instagram. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Write to us. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>